It is February. You can't tell it's February because it's like, it's like almost 80 out here already. It is so warm and it's amazing. Um, I just, I did want to give a little plug for the parenting seminar afterwards. It's going to be Judy and I doing some teaching. We're also going to have a question and answer time. I've been thinking and praying about this parenting seminar for, for months now. Um, and I had about 12 different things I wanted to communicate and then realized like, that's just too much. Um, and then I talked with Judy about it and she's like, you know what? Um, there's actually something that um, has really impacted her in terms of how she thinks about kids. And I thought, you know what? I'll just talk about that. I'm just gonna talk. So I'm really gonna try to focus on one thing today. It's really about the value of children. I'm gonna talk about the value of children. Um, and then Judy's gonna share a little testimony about that. She's, she's actually not here. She's helping with kids right now. Um, so she's kind of living what uh, we're gonna be talking about. She is living what we're talking about. And so that is the focus of the seminar. And what I hope will happen as a result, because I hope there are questions, is that this is setting the stage for our church valuing kids. Um, because I'll confess, um, even though I am a parent, um, I have not always valued um, both my children and just children in general. And so I really want to have a theology um, of children. Melissa kind of laughed here because it's kind of true. It is kind of true if you know me that I'm, I'm not like the most um, children-focused person. So this is a step for me in like growing in valuing kids. And I hope it's a step for each of us in being able to value children. Okay, and so that's afterwards. And then I wanted to say a little bit, so we're in the sixth uh, sermon of a topical series on money. And I have gotten some feedback. I've gotten some feedback before we started the series that for some of you, I mean, the purpose of our Sunday gatherings is to equip you as a believer um, to do ministry, not just for Sunday, but Monday through Saturday. Okay, and part of that equipping means uh, a certain type of preaching. And so for, for some of you, um, the topical sermon is kind of like watching a budget horror movie. Okay, and when I say that, I mean like, it's like, um, it's funny, but like in a grotesque way, um, because it's like a butchery of scripture, right? You're just looking at people kind of like read their own meaning into the scriptures when it comes to topical sermons. And so for the most part, I just want to say like, in terms of what we try to do here at Quicksilver, we try to do what's called expository preaching, which means we normally go through a book of the Bible and kind of like walk through it. Um, but every now and then we'll do something different. Okay, and this is just one way to do something different. So let me share one reason. Um, well, let me just share like a caveat. Just because something's expository doesn't mean you won't have some butchery of the text and reading meaning into the text, right? Instead of taking meaning out of it, right? So we always want to be on guard with that, um, whether it's expository, no matter what, kind, what style of preaching. Okay, so that's the first thing I'd say. And then the second, if there's a spiritual reason for why I wanted to do this series on money, it's because it just presents tremendous temptations for everyone. Um, that's why the Bible talks so much about it. And I think it represents a particular temptation here in this area. Um, and I'm gonna be talking about housing today. And it's just one of those things where we just understand implicitly, but it's so easy to compartmentalize and not allow um, our faith to affect how we see money and especially the cost of living here. Okay. And then let me give one more like unspiritual reason. I just get bored sometimes. You know, I just get bored of doing expository preaching. So this is like, thank you for contributing to my mental health um, by allowing me to, to do a topical series. Okay. So with that, let's jump in. Let's read um, Acts 1.8. I'm going to be, I'm gonna re I have two passages today. Again, it's a topical sermon. So I'm going to try to do my best to be faithful to these two passages. The first is Acts 1.8, which I'm sure many of you are familiar with, okay? So if you turn your, Bi turn your Bibles to Acts, um, I'm gonna read, I'll start with verse six and I'll read, um, I'll read from six to 
um, 11, so you can get like the full context, but I'm going to focus on um, Acts 1, verse 8. So when they, these are the disciples, had come together, they asked him, Jesus, Lord, would you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, he stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as, he saw, as you saw him go into heaven. Okay, so this is this transition point, and this is what the book of Acts is about. Um, the writer of Acts is, is attributed, it's Luke, um, and he, it's also Luke's gospel, right? So Luke has been writing about the ministry of Jesus, and right now in this chapter, you have this transition from the ministry of Jesus to this handoff to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Okay, now they're not mutually exclusive at all. It's a transitional point where the Holy Spirit has been ministering through Jesus throughout his earthly ministry. And now the Holy Spirit's gonna be poured out upon people, right? And now you have the expansion of the gospel. And so I'm gonna have three points today. One is that geography and community are aligned. Okay, a geography is a community. A geography, a geographic locale is a group of people. And you've been called primarily to a group of people, not just a locale. And second, because it's so expensive to live here, there are temptations associated with that. And so live out the calling, right? My last point is gonna be living out the calling of what it means to live here is a costly thing, but it also means our home is, is somewhere else. Okay, ultimately, the home we're looking for isn't here. It is, isn't about any kind of earthly abode. And so by way of introduction, let me just explain some statistics that you're probably already familiar with, okay? New sources often state the obvious. So according to the Mercury News this past Wednesday, median home prices in the nine county Bay Area went up 17% from December 2020 to December 2021. Santa Clara County, which is where this church is and where most of you live, rose the greatest percentage, about 24% in 2021 for a median home price of $1.55 million. Okay, $1.55 million. And I know a number of you are looking for homes. And from what I hear, the homes that you're trying to purchase um, are receiving, what, 20 to 25 offers um, on average or so, something like that. Um, and then also no contingencies, and many of these offers are all cash, okay? So all cash, like 1.6 million or higher. And then, um, and then the, the, uh, the end up, the accepted price, what's the right term? The, what ends up being the sell, sales price is like hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not like half a million over the asking price. So 15 years ago or 16, 17 years ago, when uh, we were able to buy our home with the help of both sets of parents, we thought housing prices were insane. Um, and now <laughs> they're, just, they're just absurd. And so I just want to acknowledge that reality um, as we um, sit here, as, as we are gathered here today, that this is the reality of what it means to live in this area. Okay? It is super, super expensive and way more expensive than the rest of the country. Okay, um, so what does that mean for us? How does that relate to Acts 1-8, which I just read? Okay, so let's, let's focus on what's happening here. This, this transition point 
of uh, Jesus' ministry handing off to the Holy Spirit, right? And what it says here is, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of this earth. And so what the, whole, what the Spirit of God is communicating, what, what through Luke, is that each of these disciples is a missionary. They're ambassadors. They are witnesses. This is a fundamental aspect of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is that you are a witness. And that witness has a very specific purpose. It is to a geographic locale, right? He says Jerusalem. He says Jerusalem and then all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so it starts in the location where those disciples and apostles were and then it radiates outward. There is an expansion of the gospel and the book of Acts talks about that expansion. Now, none of these locations are important, but for one thing, there are people in these locations, okay? And so when we talk about, when we talk about the New Testament and the epistles, you have uh, books like Philippians and Ephesians, and these are names of geographic locations, Ephesus and Philippi, but they represent communities within those cities. And so whenever we talk about a geographic locale from a, from a scriptural standpoint, it's always in reference to a group of people. Always a group of people. Okay, so that's the first thing. You're not called to be a witness to like the ground, okay, in a certain area. You're called to be a witness to people, to a community of people. And we're in a very strange time where geography and community are um, increasingly disconnected. And that is both the blessing and curse of technology. Like remote work is not gonna go away. And the movement we've seen of people really moving all over the country and dispersing is because you can't have community that is not geographic, okay? Many of you are, are, are close to your coworkers and as Christy shared, she built a relationship with a coworker. Uh, one of the ways it was reinforced is not through being in person together, right? They're able to maintain a relationship even though they're miles apart. And that is the beauty and curse of technology. But I, I will be honest here, I, I actually don't really know how to have community apart from geography. So maybe I'm, I'm backwards in that sense, okay? And I know there are many church consultants out there today that are like, hey, you need to be online, you need to figure out how to stream and all the, do these, all these different things so that your community is not geographic. I don't have a strategy. Our church does not have a strategy for that. I don't know how to think about that, okay? Maybe some of you will be able to help me, will, will help us figure out how to do that. I don't know how to do that well. All I know is that you can send me all the emojis you want, okay? But it is not the same as me actually getting a hug from one of you. So geographic community, I believe, still has a very important role in our culture and society today. And so I want you to think about that in terms of places to live, that even though it's, ex it's super expensive to live here, when you are called to a locale, you are called to a community of people. And so, and then, then that community of people is it's, and the, the missional emphasis of what it means to be a witness is expansive. Meaning we don't just think of ourselves in this one location. We think about the gospel reaching to the ends of the earth. And I haven't actually talked much about missions um, throughout my preaching over the last couple of years. And yet I know, and you, many of you are an inspiration to me because you are a part of missions move, a missions movement to reach the world. And when I say that, it's not just about um, becoming a foreign, an overseas missionary. When I say that, what I mean is we all need to participate in the expansion of the gospel to the world. 
And you can be part of that expansion both through, um, through giving, through your generosity, through equipping missionaries to go overseas, through prayer, um, and through short-term missions trips. Right? So there are actually, and there's, there's even more than that, there are many avenues in which you can participate in the gospel being proclaimed to the nations because that is the emphasis of the Great Commission. That's, the, that's what the Great Commission is about, making disciples. And that's who you are as a believer. Okay, and I think for most of you, nothing I'm saying here is new to you. You've heard this many times. So let me, uh, let me, let me then describe kind of an interesting trend that I've, I've seen um, in our homeschool community, okay? Because I don't think anyone would disagree that being a witness is a fundamental aspect of the Christian identity. And so within our homeschool community, what I noticed about um, five years ago, and by the way, the homeschool community um, is an extremely devoted group of followers of Jesus, okay? These are, not, um, these are not cultural Christians in any sense. These are people that are extremely committed to the gospel. And yet what I've noticed um, among um, our peers in the homeschool community is kind of this missions movement um, to faraway places, like, uh, make sure I say this right, Tennessee, Ten- Tennessee, I- Idaho, uh, Georgia, and Texas, okay? And these, uh, these faraway places, these uh, areas of where there are so many unreached people groups, um, and they, they talk about, they use strange mission language, like, um, getting out of communist California, okay? And, I mean, nobody said this, but owning lots of guns, it's where it's popular to protect babies in the womb, where, and this is what they do say, where housing is so much cheaper, and you can get land and have acreage. And so, you know, tongue-in-cheek, being tongue-in-cheek aside, the reasons I have actually heard people moving are, and and people, I, I appreciate, people have been very honest with me that they have, like, this dream that they want each of their children to have his or her own bedroom. Like that's one of their dreams. Okay, and I, and I, and I, I understand that, I recognize that. Um, or, we want, or you wanna be around people who agree with your political views and are supportive of them. Um, or you wanna meet a significant other who shares your political views. Being a Christian is not about running from the battle, but running to it. And we weren't promised safe harbor. We weren't promised smooth sailing throughout the scriptures. What we're promised is, as we go out into the seas and we encounter the storm, that Jesus' presence will be with us. And so there was an article last year in October um, in the Gospel Coalition called, Should Christians Move to Conservative Areas? And it's exactly this trend that I've been thinking about. And one of the questions this article asks is, uh, the, the consideration is, how comfortable an at-home, quote, at-home, should Christians be in this world? And instead of asking certain questions, it's got a whole list of questions, and I'll just give you one example. Instead of asking one set of questions to ask a different set, a better set of questions. So the question that people can ask is, why should I stay somewhere that disrespects my beliefs? That's one question. Here's a better question the writer gives. What might God want to accomplish in and through me by staying or moving? That's a better question. And I think the questions we ask, I mean, one of the things that Quicksilver's about is storytelling and asking questions. And what I hope our mission can be is to ask better questions. Okay, better questions. And that's a better question. What does God, what might God want to accomplish in and through me by staying or moving? 
And so what I want to do, and this is going to be part of our sharing time today. We have an open mic sharing at the end of, our, at the end of every, every one of our gatherings. And the question that I want to ask, and this question, that's actually a set of questions, but this question was given to me by another Acts 29 pastor. His name is Toby Kurth. He leads a church in San Francisco. And San Francisco, I mean, we complain about um, tran transients, you know, here in the, in, the bay, in the South Bay, in San Jose. But his church turns over completely every three years. Okay, what that means is a, a whole new group of people, like 100% of the church moves. The number of people is equal to the size of the church in three years that's turned around in San Francisco because that's also extremely expensive place to live. And so the question that he has been asking his people, and I've asked one of our leaders recently, is this, and I want you to consider, how long has God called you to be here? Okay, how long has God called you to be here? What has he called you to do? And maybe more importantly, okay, because geography is about a community. Who has he called you to love? Who has he sent you to? Okay. And I would say one undeniable one, Stacy already gave us an answer for, he has undeniably sent you to reach the community of your coworkers. Okay. So if you work here in the Valley, which is probably what drew you here in the first place, you, I would definitely consider that as one of your mission fields. And I was talking to um, a friend this week and he was saying, I don't even know, he's like, I don't even know how to uh, invite people to church for my work. I don't even know what that means. Like, uh, that's just such a weird thing to me because I'm way closer to my coworkers than I am to the people in, in my church. And I thought to myself, you know, that's actually probably pretty normal. I, I would guess many of you feel closer, well, if you didn't meet them during the pandemic, but if you, if you had an in-person relationship, you probably feel closer with your coworkers than you do with the people in our church. And I think that's totally fine. And so for him, his model of ministry is like, how can I invite other Christians into my work community? And I thought that's a really interesting way to think about it. I mean, that's actually what mission is about. That's actually what it means to be a missionary is to actually go to a community. And so he was thinking, how do I invite other Christians to join, to be sent to this community that I'm reaching? Rather than the other way around, how do I invite people into this, into this Sunday gathering, right? And I think that's the kind of perspective that Jesus, that the Holy Spirit is wanting us to have from Acts 1-8 because you are called to a group of people. And that means going to that group of people. And that's not just about geography, though it includes it. Okay, so that's my first point. We are, we are missionaries. We are called to a community. What community has he called you to? And if you're here, you've been called to the people around you. You've been called to your neighbors, the people you live around. You've been called to the people that you play sports with. Those are the people I would consider are part of your sent community. And a couple weeks ago, we gave out $500 in $100 bills to each life group leader to figure out how can we spend it on behalf of the community that you're sent to. Okay, and I hope doing that exercise now where you're not just trying to figure out how to throw the money, you know, throw the money out there, but who are you sent to? Okay, what group of people are you sent to proclaim the gospel to and to live the gospel to? Okay, so that's Acts 1-8. So I'm going to move to my next point in the next passage. I'm going to be speaking from um, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Okay, now I'm going to talk about being rich because there are enormous temptations. When it's this expensive to live here, there are enormous temptations to being rich. So I'm going to transition. If you, since you are here, you're called here, called to be here. I'm going to read 1 Timothy 6, verse 6 through 10. Verse 6 through 10. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing... 
With this, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith themselves with many pangs. Um, First Timothy is written by Paul. And in that, is it not going out? Um, 1 Timothy is written by Paul, and it's a pastoral epistle. So what he's doing in the pastoral epistle is helping explain, hey, this is what it means to be a pastor. This is, and he, he also gives attention to doctrine. And so um, as part of that, this emphasis on doctrine, should I turn mine off? Okay. Excuse me, guys. So as part of his uh, emphasis on equipping Timothy to be a pastor, he is having, he's warning about different doctrinal temptations, okay, different heresies. And one of the heresies that he's actually talking about, and it's, it's not exactly a heresy, but it's a huge temptation, is this temptation of being rich. And it's often misquoted that money is the root of all evil. But if you read this verse carefully, right, if you read what it says, it says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. And what it's saying here is because money represents so many different kinds of things, it poses a unique temptation. And in my last sermon in the series, I'm going to talk about the kind of the unique nature of money, like whether money is inherently evil. Um, But for now, what I want to focus on is how do you handle that temptation? And the first thing he says in reference to this is there is great gain in godliness with contentment. So contentment is a tremendous challenge when it comes to thinking about money. And so let me just say a couple things, that it's not just financially costly to live here, and I've talked about this in an earlier message, but it's spiritually and emotionally costly as well, okay? And when I say that, you, we are surrounded by people that are greedy <laughs> because of how expensive it is to live here. And it's a constant temptation. And what I wanna confess and acknowledge is that um, even, even I was making, uh, you know, I was poking fun and uh, insulting people that move out of here. But the reality is I have been uniquely blessed because I grew up here and because we had help in, having our, in, in buying our home and because my parents live 15 minutes from here, I, I've been uniquely blessed to be able to live here. And I just want to acknowledge that. I, I, I get that. I get that it's easier for me. It's a lower cost for me. And yet it's not costless for me um, to raise four kids in a three-bedroom, 1,400-square-foot home. Okay, it's not easy to be able to do that. There is a cost associated with that. And part of that cost is the cost of comparison. Okay, and I just want to be, we just need to assess what it means to live here. So for example, um, I have a friend who just retired. He's, we're the same age. And he owns a second home in Tahoe, a vacation home in Tahoe. That's about twice the square footage of our normal home. And when we hang out with him, when our families hang out, it's like a little bit hard sometimes you know, because it's hard not to be a little bit envious. And if you choose to live a certain way in this area, you're just going to be, you're going to experience that. You're going to be tempted towards envy. And that's a spiritual cost. It's not just a financial cost. And if you want to own a home in this area, you're going to probably have to give up a lot of different things. For instance, uh, the dream to have every child have his or her own bedroom, that's something we gave up on a long time ago. Okay, that just wasn't realistic for what we wanted to do. Okay, for, for, what, for what our ambitions were or, or what we believe God was calling us to do. 
Okay, and so there are, tr there are certainly trade-offs that come with living here. Probably the hardest one is living in comparison. I'll give you another comparison that's difficult. You're also gonna live in comparison with the people who live in areas that are much cheaper. Okay, you won't be able to help comparing with Sacramento or Modesto or, or, um, or Fresno or Boise or Orlando um, about how much cheaper real estate is. You, that's always gonna be in the back of your head, that comparison that envy that you could have way more land or way more acreage or a bedroom for each kid. And that is part of the spiritual cost of living in this area. And I just wanna name it. I just wanna name it today. We just wanna acknowledge that. That's part of the cost and being a witness and being a missionary. And then let me share one more cost. And this cost is also a blessing. Okay, we'll call it the cost of having children. And part of the um, parenting seminar is gonna talk about the blessing of having kids, okay? And I think it is a tremendous blessing. And we hopefully have modeled that with our own lives, the blessing of having children. And yet that is the primary, I believe the primary reason, the, one of the biggest drivers of why people move out of this area because they're thinking about their children. And so let me say this, I think that's an honorable and good reason to move. Okay, let me just acknowledge that. Because your primary mission field as a parent is your children. That's the, those are the disciples in your own home. Okay, so it is important to be committed to raising them. And yet when it comes to what you wanna model for your children, whether it's running, from the, running to the battle or running from it, I would just ask you to consider, okay? I would ask you to consider. And I think Christians are always gonna debate what level of protection we need to provide for our children, okay? That's always gonna be debated. And I don't think there's a good answer. I don't have a, an easy answer for that. But I just ask you to kind of live in that tension that as a Christian, as a, as a Christian parent, you are modeling for your children um, an attitude of courage and what it means to be a missionary, okay? And by the way, kids will sniff out fakes very easily. They know if you're faking it, okay? They will just know because you live with them, right? My kids know whether my faith is real, right? My kids, they, they get that. And so your kids will sniff out very quickly if you're serious about running to the battle or running from it. They will get it very, very quickly. And so I would just ask you to consider what kind of model that you want to set for your children in terms of what it means to be a missionary and a witness. But I want to be real here. That is a cost. That is a real cost of living here. Okay, um, let, me, let me finish with this last point. I'm gonna read again, back to 1 Timothy. I'm gonna read towards the end. This is in verse 17. Chapter six, verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Okay, so it kind of, this is the closing of what Paul is saying to Timothy. This is one of his charges. And so it, what's fascinating here is, is Tim, uh, what Paul is saying to, to Timothy is like, hey, you know what, let's accept that they are those who are gonna be rich, okay? Let's accept that. 
right? Because he's, he's saying, as for the rich in this present age. So he's actually not being harshly critical or judgmental of the rich in this case, right? And, and frankly, Jesus is quite judgmental of the rich. In fact, he says it is easier for um, a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is quite harsh for those who are rich. And yet Paul is saying, hey, let's, fit, let's, let's acknowledge that reality that there will be rich. And for most of you, most of you are rich. If you're able to afford to live in this area, you are rich compared to the rest of the country and the rest of the world. Okay, and he says, charge them not to be haughty because there's an arrogance that's associated with being rich. And man, don't I know it. When people, when people talk about even just other areas in California, I'm so arrogant about being from this area. I'm so arrogant. Like people talk, like I'm, I've, I think I've told some people like when I've met another pastor from Modesto and he's saying, oh yeah, we have a lot of Silicon Valley, people that commute to Silicon Valley um, from Modesto. I'm like, but who cares? Like people, they, they want to live here. They just, can't, they just can't live here. And I'm, I'm super like arrogant about being this place being more expensive than other places because I grew up here. And it's just like some, talking to someone from New York City. There's such an arrogance to being from New York City because you like run the rest of the world. But I think Silicon Valley runs the world. You know, so there is such an arrogance to me, to me being here. <laughs> and you think I'm joking, I'm not joking. Like it's, it is, I have a haughtiness to being from this area. And then it says this, nor to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches. I am the child of immigrants. Do you know what immigrants, why immigrants came to this country? They came here for money, okay? Because money represents something very important, especially for Chinese immigrants. Money represents stability, okay? Money represents certainty for immigrants. And that's why in the immigrant church, money is a huge issue. In fact, they, I, I can understand why a lot of immigrant churches don't talk about money because that's like a really sacred cow among immigrants, okay? But it says, nor to set their sights um, nor to set their sights on the uncertainty of riches, right? So that is another temptation to view money as a source of certainty. And then it says, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. So here's my final point. Missional generosity is the antidote, okay? Is the antidote to the temptations of money, Okay. And which we're all going to face. And so let me give you three practical things, okay? Let me give you three practical things that, uh, to think about this in terms of housing. First of all, I also think another important and good reason um, to be able to move is to be closer to family. I'm close to my family here. Family is a kind of community, right? And I think it's good and important, especially once you have children, um, to move closer to like their grandparents. Like I think that's a, that's a legitimate thing because again, community, we're, we've been created and designed for community. Um, and then here's the other thing. The other principle that goes with being here, love the people you're with, okay? Some of you are listening to this today and you're like, man, you know, I'm, I need new housemates. If I'm supposed to love a community of people, I need new housemates. No, you don't need new housemates. You just need to love the housemates and apartment mates that God puts you in today, okay? You don't need to actually change anything about your situation. Um, maybe if you live alone, you do need to find some people to live with because God did not actually design us to live alone. God designed us for community. If you're sent to reach people, then you need to live with people because you are called to make disciples. And the only way you're gonna make disciples is if you spend time together. And the people that you spend the most time together with are those whom you live with. Okay, maybe, probably now more than ever, right? If you're gonna shelter in place, you should shelter in place with the disciples that you're making of each other. Okay, so love the people that you're with. Um, second, would you get help? and depend on others. Because it's so expensive to live here, would you not be afraid to ask for help? And that means for a long time, Judy and I refused help from both sets of parents to buy a home. 
okay? And we were being stubborn and arrogant, honestly, and I think I've shared about that. There are some creative ways to get help. So definitely take help from your parents. I mean, really, you should just take help from anyone, right? GoFundMe, I don't know. Like, there's gotta be some creative ways in which you can raise money so that you can be able to be here, okay? And I've been thinking, and this is one of my dreams in retirement, is to find ways to support people to live in this area. Because I see so many of my friends and peers be, move away, and I, and I understand it. But if we can help people to be able to stay here, like, that is an awesome, awesome thing especially for people who grew up here and feel called to be in this area, which I do. And then lastly, in terms of generosity, it does include money, but one thing that I so appreciate about people in this church, okay, and, and especially the, the leaders, is that being a part of a church plant is quite a commitment, not just in terms of money. I appreciate the generosity and you guys have given also to our family generously. But what I appreciate is that you've also been generous with your time because here in the Valley, time is money, okay? And many of you have been generous with your time and sacrificing for the building up of this local body. And so when we talk about generosity, I don't just mean giving, I mean generosity in all the different respects in all the different ways in what our culture values, which is both money and time. It values both of them. And being a witness means being generous of both of those, our money and our time. So let me, let me close with one final, one final thing about what it means that we don't belong here, okay? I love living in this area, okay? I love it. It's actually really comfortable for me to live here. It's so easy as an Asian American to live in this area. You know, I just put on my Patagonia vest and walk into REI and people treat me like I'm a software engineer at Google. You know, it's like so great. It's like really great, you know, because people think I have money, you know? And that's such a great thing because that's just not gonna happen many places in this country. And I can just like walk around and find a boba place, right? It's, it's so easy, right? It's, it's so easy for me to live in this area because it's comfortable ethnically to do so. Because if you're an immigrant, um, if you're an Asian immigrant and you make it here and your kids make it here, you're not leaving. You're gonna do everything in your power to stay here. I'm probably not gonna move to Boise. You know, unless God does some supernatural thing, probably not gonna do, move to Boise. Um, and so I, I'm, what I'm looking is, um, I'm looking for, I'm, sometimes I have this thought that this is gonna be my final home, but this is not our final home. And I also have this pride that um, we we're talking about in our prayer walk yesterday with Andy. Like we live in kind of a modern day Babel here in Silicon Valley. We're all building, everyone, every company here is building towers to reach the heavens. Okay, Elon Musk is, re is building a rocket to reach, has built a rocket to reach the heavens. Okay, so this is like a real thing, reaching the heavens. And I have an incredible arrogance that goes with that as well. But we're not meant to belong here. So I wanna turn your attention back to Acts 1.8 because the word, the, the verse starts with but. But you shall receive power. And the reason why is to the sentence before, it says, it is not for you to know the time or place for when Jesus is gonna restore Israel because they had this idea, the Jews had this idea they had this idea of MEGA, okay? Make Israel great again, okay? <laughs> they were gonna restore Israel. Jerusalem was gonna be the final city, the city above all cities, okay? Jerusalem was gonna dominate the rest of the, the, rest of the world. They were looking at Jerusalem as the final home. And Jesus is like, that's not your final home. Jerusalem is not your final home. Stop thinking about that. So that's why it's but. You don't need to know when Jerusalem is gonna be restored because it's not your final home. What your final home is is in heaven is with me. And until then, you are witnesses. So if you have any arrogance about this place 
or any hopes about having a final home here in this earth, you are mistaken. Okay, because Jesus has given you a greater home. We are exiles and strangers here. And we're on mission together. And Jesus was on mission to reach us. That's why he came here, to bring us back to him. And so would we remember and recall that as we think about what it means to live in this area? Let's pray together. Father God, thank you that you forsook the comfort of heaven and became flesh to come down to this uh, mud ball of a planet in order to make eye contact with us, to give hugs, to touch, and to rescue a people for yourself. And now that we've been rescued, now that we've been bought by your blood, we no longer belong to ourselves. And we are on mission. We are on mission together with the body of Christ to reach this world. So Lord, would we, would we think globally and act locally? Will we love the people that we are with, the people in our communities, the ones whom we live, work, and play together with? Would you manifest clarity and how you've called us to this area. And because this is a supernatural calling, would you provide the supernatural resources for us to be able to live in this area? And that includes providing the natural resources as well. God, would you protect us not only from the natural temptations, but the supernatural temptations of riches? Would we recognize and hold on and recognize that generosity, that being generous with our time and our money is an antidote to the temptations of riches. God, thank you for the salvation we have in you, Jesus. In your name, amen.